0: So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Let me pray for us. Sovereign God, You are Lord over heaven and earth. You reign above and inside time. We are people in need of Your Word, and You are a God who speaks. So, Father, we pray that our ears would be open, our hearts would be soft. I pray, God, that you would apply the comfort of your word and that you would disturb us with your word, that we might, in both counts, run to Jesus and see him more clearly. Amen. James uh, is speaking to this subset of people within this larger set of people that he's been writing to, preaching to. He talks about this thing that they're doing, where they are making plans to go and apparently make profit from from trading. And in some sense, you can read this, especially in our culture, and say, what is the deal here? What what is getting in his craw about what they're doing? That they're just making business plans. Are business plans not allowed? Is it sinful to make a business plan? And that's not quite what James is getting at here. James is instead talking about an attitude that underlies what they are doing and, and what indeed does seem normal and common. And so he's putting his spade underneath the surface of the earth and turning it up to see what is underneath there. And for us, in our context where we live, it is especially appropriate for us to pay attention to what James is saying. Because James is is pretty clearly writing to people who are wealthy. They are, this is not just generically, people are making plans. These are people who are making plans organized around, supported by uh, this mission of making money. And James is saying that their wealth has put in them an inappropriate confidence that they are in charge of the world. That's fundamentally the problem that James is addressing here. Their wealth has made them confident that they get to determine the way that their life should go. So they are looking out on the world as a master and making decisions as the planner and the master. And wealth enables them to do that because they are comfortable in their wealth. Now, where we live now, we are all in that category. You you may be sitting here and saying, my friend, please check my bank account look at my stack of bills, I am not that person. I'm not saying we're all equally the wealthy merchant here. I am saying, though, if we could zoom out from the globe, your worries and my worries are still vastly different than most of the world. You more than likely know where you can open a tap and get water. If you can do that, You're rich, my friend. You are rich. If you can poop in the same place that you live and not worry about drinking the water that you just flushed, you're rich. If there's a roof over your head and walls, you're you're rich compared to many people. And we have a different set of worries in our world that often look like this. Because we are not consumed with the day-to-day worries of where we might get our meals today, there is a freedom that is created for us to just look at the world and say, what do I want to do? My my map, my road map is just determined by what I want to do in the world and what I can make happen all by myself. And and I I am definitely a part of this. That system has worked on me and worked inside of me. For sure. I look at time as a thing for me to arrange, for me to plan inside of. And there's big decisions and small decisions that I often do not turn to God and say, what might God will? What might God want? And this is James's problem. You people are cruising through life, enabled and comforted by your wealth, and assuming that the world is a closed system, that God does not intervene or mix in, and that you are free to do as you like. James said, that is a mirage, an illusion, and it's evil that in itself is evil because it is a mischaracterization of God and the way he made the world. We instead are invited to a different disposition where we say the heavens are open and God is somehow involved in the world. Now, this for us can be unpacked and untangled in a variety of ways. But what I would say to you is this change in disposition of the heart to reflect upward, to look upward and ask what might God want of my life, want of me in this moment, next week, a year from now, that he might actually be doing something in the world. So how can I get alongside of that? How can I be involved in what God is doing rather than assuming I can just plan without him for what I want to do? That attitude is contrary to the way our world runs. We live in a world of self-care where you are constantly being taught To mind what you want and what you think you need, and to unquestioningly do that thing. So you feel a need for this or that, and if you feel it, you do it because you are master of your fate. And if you won't protect you, then who will? If you won't care for you, then who will? If you do not comfort yourself, then who will? But that is not the way that we are called to live because all of those questions for us have answers. My my chief physician in my life is Jesus. The one who provides all comfort for me is Jesus, by the power of His Holy Spirit. God can and does call us, calls me, to live a life that oftentimes just is apparently uncomfortable, is apparently not to my benefit, because we say God's economy runs differently than the one that we are accustomed to. This is a contrary statement to the way the world works. Now, this this can get weird in a a couple of different ways, right? There's, There's things that James doesn't mean. Like if you go to a salad bar and you are stopping the line to pray over every item, what might God will for you to pick up from the salad line that, I think, is an over application, an overstatement of what James means. He's not saying your brain doesn't work. He's not saying that you have to feel called to every single thing that you do. That, that would be a life of maddening stillness. You would never probably do anything. That's not what James is saying. We're again talking about a disposition of the heart. But there's also ways that God speaks to us and and tells us what He does will. Chiefly, most clearly, most readily available to you, it's this thing. The Bible tells you about the will of God. It may not tell you what to pick up at the salad bar, but it tells you about the will of God. That you can trust Scripture to teach you and to talk to you and inform your own decision-making. And the Bible can get up underneath the way that you make decisions and cause you to turn your heart to the Lord so that you may or may not end up at the salad bar because you have been following Jesus. I don't know, I'm not against, I'm not, I'm not against salad bars. This is not a salad bar sermon. <laughs> scripture helps you and aids you in understanding what the Lord's will is. And if you set aside Scripture then you are just more likely to live in this way that James is speaking against. If you want a clear uh, communication from the Lord about what His will is for you, pick, pick up Scripture. Now, he is inviting us to see that God is active in the world. But where this oftentimes feels difficult is when you are in the middle of very hard times, where you are, as it were, sitting in the mines of Moria, saying, I really don't want to be in the middle of this life. I want to have a different kind of life. Why am I here? And what is both challenging and encouraging is that Scripture will tell you that even in the midst of the darkest of evils that you may be surrounded by, God is not absent. That it it is possible that the Good Shepherd who walks beside you, beside you in the valley of the shadow of death, may have held your hand as you went there. And that... That foster can foster in us all kinds of anger and resentment and despair. You led me here. You could have brought me somewhere else, and you've brought me here. And scripture has this strange way of talking around and at this problem. Scripture will will tell you that your choices have consequences and they matter. They are significant. You should pay attention. You should live wisely. And sometimes things happen to you because you chose that. Yet at the same time, what Scripture will say is that God is also choosing. And He is working. And He is doing something even in the middle of you doing something. And Scripture never resolves this tension for us. We want a very clear here on the map, right here. This is the spot where those two lines intersect. This is exactly how that works. And Scripture never seems interested in resolving that tension for you. It will just say at the same time, Your choices and how you live your life, they're significant. You have been endowed with the image of God himself. Live wisely, live well, live right. And if you don't, there's consequences. And if you do, there's blessing. And scripture will say, in some mysterious, unseen, and hidden way, God is the chief actor in all of history. And he is doing something and will do something that you yourself could not accomplish yourself. And oftentimes you come through these seasons of sunshine and roses or you come through these seasons of intense darkness and it is only when you turn around and look backwards that you are able to see evidence of how God has danced through your life. It is very often, only in retrospect, that you're able to see evidence of his presence with you. James is, is speaking to something and, and promising something here about the nature of our lives in time. Time and our relation to it is complicated and, and weird and hard and hard. And there's no pretending otherwise. You're in the middle of good times and you feel like the the pedal is to to the floor and you're flying through it. And other times you feel like you are in the middle of the worst and things are just dragging. Just starting and ending your day is an immense victory to you. Time is weird as we see it and we experience it. But James helps us by giving us perspective and saying, your life really and truly, it is only a mist. It is a vapor passing away incredibly fast. And you cannot, will not ever get a handle on that. You will just be gone. He is here reflecting back the Jewish wisdom tradition in which he's raised, and which hopefully we are also being raised. It's the same language that you can read in Ecclesiastes again and again, that your life is vapor, it is vanishing. And you cannot live as if you are a concrete eternal monument around which all of time and history swings. There is instead, you vaporous people, an offer here. One thing that's, that you are offered here is a call to be humble. Make your plans. Do what you need to do. Schedule your bills. Pay them. Get jobs. Make budgets. Live life wisely and well. The book of Proverbs will tell you that, and James would want you to read the book of Proverbs. He quotes it quietly, all the time. Do that. But recognize who and what you are. You you are so small. And you are not the center of it all. The world is pressing on you to say, well, somebody's got to think about me. And what James is saying, no, you first need to think about God." What might God want with in and through you? Humble yourself before God." That's what he's talking about at the end of this little passage when he, he says, if you, "If you know what you are supposed to do and you do not do it, that is evil. What you are supposed to do is humble yourself before God, this eternal, unchanging one who is sovereign over your life and all of lives ever. You are supposed to be humble, but you are also encouraged to be hopeful. If your life is is not all about you, if, if the... the the sole referent of the universe is not you and me, a vapor who is here today and gone tomorrow, but our hope is instead hung on God, then our hopes are hung on a a God who does not change, who is the opposite of our nature, who is not vaporous, who is not passing away, but is a steady anchor in the vanishing sands of time. God is is stable and himself and unchanging. His plans are are not circumvented. He is not ever caught off guard. He has eternal purposes that He is working out and you are invited to be His child. So you are not just meant to to cower before God and and hope and pray that He does not crush you and, and be that kind of humble. You are meant to be humble and small before Him, recognizing His immensity and also you are meant to be hopeful that this God will care for you and comfort you. And even in the darkness, He will not lose you. But He is with you. The life of of Jesus is for us the way forward. Because Jesus, in His own story, provides for us the answer to these problems, these tearings of time. Jesus Became one of us so that he might with us and on our behalf pray, not my will, but your will be done. And Jesus invites us to that kind of submission. It's this same way that his brother is writing here. You are invited to constantly be uttering this prayer of surrender that is on, by the way, the brink of death, that is in the darkest moment that you can experience. Jesus is teaching us to pray, not my will, but yours be done. I have an idea of how things should go, but you have a better idea. Not my will, but yours be done. Jesus is this model for us of humility. But also He is for us our hope. Because the last words of Jesus that are recorded in the Gospels as He is sending His people out, not on a journey for more profit, not not on a merchant's trip to accrue riches, but to disciple the nation's and really to their death. Jesus tells them this thing that I am sure every one of them would tell you they heard again and again as they face their death. I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. The only way that we as God's people can move through time with an open heaven believing that God cares for us and comforts for us comforts us is because we have seen Jesus he has demonstrated on the cross that God's redemptive purposes will be worked out of even the most dire and dark circumstances there is no more murderous and wicked moment than the moment when the Son of God is crucified. And from this darkness, God weaves out this story of redemption and offers it to you and to me. And it is when we see the crucified Jesus, Son of God Himself, who comes into the story over which He superintends and subjects Himself to all the things that torment us and make us terrified and crush us and make us need that kind of comfort and care. It is when we see that Jesus who then steps out of the grave in assured victory over all of those powers, over all of that evil, and hear Him say, I will never leave you or forsake you. That we are able to have the kind of courage and hope that certainly transcends ourselves. It is because God Himself is not just watching over the story, but He has come to be a part of it. His own spirit is in you and with you and for you so that for all of time, the Lord of time might make you His son or His daughter. That is the way that Christians are supposed to be in this crazy, fraught world. If you are in the middle of darkness right now, Sitting there on the side having the same conversation that Frodo is. I wish that this was not my life right now. These words are spoken to you. I will not leave you. And you have not been lost or forgotten. And I am doing something even for you. And if you are in the middle of a great season of life, that you are now more than ever tempted to think, Everything's good. I can manage the world around me. I can be this master of my universe. Look, everything is going wonderful. God has been good and he's been kind to you. And he is your hope, not your circumstances. He will not change even though I promise you your circumstances will. You can be looking at the news and saying, why do I have to live in this time? Why, why this one? All of the, the hate and the madness and the violence. Why couldn't I have lived like 100 years ago or something? I, I know I have thought that. But in the middle of this time, God has brought you, his people, to this place. And he is doing something now that you may not be able to see, but that beckons to you with hope and courage to keep moving forward and asking what God might do now. Jesus is the king who makes us humble, and he is the reason for our hope, whether we are in darkness or in light. This morning, this Sunday, you've been called here to worship him, that your soul might see rightly and respond to him. The sovereign king over heaven and earth and time itself, who is here with you now and forever. Amen. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we are people who are bent on shaping the world around our own desires and wants. We are desperate to keep hold of all things and make those things about us. Father, I pray that You would present Yourself in the freedom and the hope that is offered in You and You alone. That we would, we would look at Jesus and we would follow His example as far as we are able to keep praying, not my will, but Yours be done. But God, more than his example, we need his work. And we thank you that in Jesus on the cross and triumphant over the grave, we have more than enough hope. That nothing the world can throw at us can change Jesus' words that he would not leave us or forsake us. I pray, God, that by your Holy Spirit, we might be moved to see you and to love you with all of our hearts. Help us to be small before you, trusting that you will care for us like the children that we are. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we thank you. Amen.